Let's pray together. Great God in heaven, we come before you asking for your mercy. Lord, I know that as I, I stand here to proclaim your word, Father, I am, I am not worthy, I am not able to proclaim the truth of the gospel. So Lord, in spite of me, I ask your word would go forth. This morning, you would pierce us to our very hearts. God, you would convict us and encourage us, that you would challenge us, compel us, Father, to follow you, to devote ourselves to your teachings, to your word, to your spirit, and to one another. God, we ask that you do this all by your grace, by your power. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus the Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. If you have your B-I-B-L-E with you, please take it and turn with me this morning to the book of Acts. The book of Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts chapter 2. We will begin in verse 36 and we'll be reading to the end of chapter 2, which is verse 47. Acts chapter 2, the first book after the four Gospels of the New Testament. You hit the New Testament, keep going just a little bit. Feel free to take one of the Bibles in the back of the pew there in front of you and use it. If you don't have your own copy, you're welcome to keep that one. Or if you'd like to just follow along on the screens, the word will be up there also. However you are accessing the text, I would ask, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word? We look together now at Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 36. The word of the Lord says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words He bore witness, and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Folks, today 
whether you're aware of it or not, is actually Pentecost Sunday. This Sunday is the Sunday that we recognize the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was a common Jewish first fruits festival. That's very hard to say back to back to back. First fruits festival. So the first fruits of the harvest had come in and they had a festival where if you were able, you should come to Jerusalem and celebrate and give of your first fruits to the temple. And so this ceremony, this festival was known as Pentecost. Before there was ever a Christian tradition, this is what the Jewish people did. And so after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he wandered here and there on earth, made appearances to various people over a 40-day time frame. And then he ascended back into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. And he said in Acts 1.8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost ends of the earth. And so this is what the apostles are waiting for for ten days. Sometimes I, I know that ten days might not sound like a lot, but sometimes waiting on the Lord for one day, much less ten, feels like an eternity. Jesus is gone. He was here, and we thought maybe he was going to set up his kingdom after he had been resurrected from the dead. We kind of thought maybe he would overthrow Rome, and we're still a little bit confused as to where he's gone and, and what's going on. So they sequester themselves. They close themselves off to the world and spend ten days crying out to the Lord and praying. And after ten days, what the Lord, what Jesus himself had prophesied, comes to pass. The Holy Spirit falls upon the apostles in their closed-off location, and it says that flames appeared upon their head that looked as though flaming tongues of fire. This is what we have talked about before, that the temple that Solomon built had a pillar of fire that came and entered that temple. But when they rebuilt the temple, there was no flame that entered it. This is the next symbol of the Holy Spirit as fire entering the new temple, which is the body of the believer. And so the fire fell upon the apostles, and they were filled with boldness. And so in the middle of this very crowded festival, they go outside and they begin to preach and proclaim, all twelve of them, every believer begins to preach and proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. And the amazing part about it is that everybody that is there for the Pentecost festival speaks different languages, has different dialects. And so as the apostles are preaching and proclaiming, everyone is hearing in their own language that they understand. So this is the same scenario as if you only spoke and understood Mandarin Chinese, and I only spoke and understood English. And so as I speak English, you are hearing perfect Mandarin. Maybe this section only speaks Spanish. Maybe this section only speaks Chinese. Maybe this section speaks Korean. And these people over here are speaking French. Whatever the language, you heard what you could understand. Even though I didn't know the language. Even though I wasn't speaking in the language. This is the miracle that is happening. And people begin to take notice. And as they're walking around, they're like, oh, are they speaking French? Are they speaking Mandarin? Well, you're hearing, and I'm hearing, well, what, what's going on? So chaos begins to erupt, and people begin to talk to one another, and they're talking over one another. And so even as all twelve are preaching, Peter raises his voice. And so I, I don't know if Peter just happened to be a very loud individual like I am and raised his voice up above the crowd. Or if maybe the Lord just miraculously amplified his voice. But there are thousands of people that now are listening to Peter singularly. 
And as Peter speaks, everybody hears in a language that they can understand. And Luke is the author of the book of Acts. He's the author of the Gospel of Luke. And he's also the author of the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the Acts of the Apostles. And so he tells us a summary of Peter's sermon. It's probably not the whole thing that Peter preached, but it is a very good and condensed, summarized version of Peter's sermon. And one of my favorite things is what he ends with. That's where we begin with our study this morning. He ends there in verse 36. This is his last final concluding statement. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, know without any shadow of doubt, without any sliver of uncertainty, with no ambiguity, know 100% that God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, that is Master and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Folks, I just want you to just take a minute to enjoy the irony of the difference between the way that we do things now in our preaching and the way Peter finished his sermon. Today, we play a wonderful little hymn. Just as I am and waiting not. You can come today. Jesus is waiting for you. He loves you. He wants you to have a good life. He wants you to be prosperous. He wants to save your soul. Would you please come to the altar? Come and accept Jesus. He is waiting for you. You have nothing to do just as you are. Please come. Well, man, Peter's over here. Jesus is Christ and Lord, and you killed Him! And what did the people do? They didn't need Him to baby them. They didn't need Him to beg them to come forward. Peter didn't get on his knees and grovel that they would repent. He said, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, the Master, the Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, God Almighty, the everlasting, the great I Am, the Alpha and the Omega, and you killed Him. What did people do? They were pierced and cut to their very hearts. And they cry out in response, What have we done? Peter, what? so what do we do now, Peter? What do we do? Okay, we killed him. What's the response? What are we supposed to do? Tell us, Peter, what to do. And Peter says, I'll tell you what to do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Turn from your old way of life and turn to allow Christ to be your Lord and your Master and your Savior. Trust in Him and Him alone as Messiah to signify that you believe, be baptized and dunked under the water, to be cleansed and brought forth. Just as He was in the grave, you go under the water. Just as He was raised from the dead, you rise up a new creation in Christ our Messiah. You be baptized. And you know what happened? Nobody begged, nobody pleaded, nobody was was babying anybody, spoon-feeding anybody. 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom. And today, we beg people, please trust in Jesus. Please, he, he, he loves you. He died for you. Folks, the message that Peter preached is the same message he could say to me. Jesus is Christ and Lord, and Nathan, you crucified Him. Your sins put Him on that cross. So Nathan, what are you going to do that you've crucified your Lord and Savior? And my response should be, I will repent and trust in Jesus. 
I have decided and there's no turning back. And so, yes, they met together in a large festival where there were thousands of people. They gave a hard, a hard message. This is the truth. This is reality. And people responded in droves because they understood and the Spirit moved upon them and they were pierced to their heart. This was a decision that meant giving up everything. This was a decision that meant they would be hunted and persecuted by people such as Saul of Tarsus, that the Sanhedrin would be done with them, that they would be sought out to be killed and stoned. And yet they said, what shall we do? And so people come together. And now, our church just went from maybe 120 people to like 3,120 people. That's a huge growth. That's a lot of logistical problems that are a nightmare immediately erupt. Man, I'm so glad that people responded. This is amazing. What do we do with everybody now? Oh, man, so we're full. We got nowhere to meet. We got another. Do we do, we do a second service? Do we build a building? What are we going to do now? So here's where we are. What are we going to do now? Pentecost has come. Pentecost has happened. And here's what the church did to organize itself. They weren't perfect, had a lot of problems, had some racism, had some prejudices, had some people who would serve some widows and not serve other widows. That's deplorable in our mind today. Imagine if we had a widow service and we fed the Caucasian widows, but we did not feed the African-American widows. This is what happens in the early church. It's messy. Don't, don't, don't put them up on some pedestal and say that they were perfect. They had Greeks, they had Hellenists, they had Jewish Christians, they had people who were Gentiles that converted, they had people who were Jews that converted. And the Jews and the Gentiles did not get along. It took them a long time to find unity in Christ. But here's how they did it. Here's how they worked it out. They didn't work it out by continuously meeting in big, huge groups of 3,000. Look with me and let's see what they did. Verse 42. Then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, folks, as Southern Baptists, as an overweight Southern Baptist minister, I can guarantee you that we, as Bethany Baptist Church, are doing a fantastic job at being devoted to the breaking of bread. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm glad we're devoted to the breaking of bread. Y'all don't seem as excited about this. Y'all must not have had some of the food at our potlucks. I'm telling you, we are devoted to the breaking of bread, and we are good at it. Name the last time you came to a Southern Baptist Church meeting and there wasn't food there. I'm telling you what, we had a meeting on Friday and I called Jeff Grimes. I said, Jeff Grimes, we need some barbecue because we're getting together to meet and we got to break the bread. You know what I mean? It's got to happen. We got to eat while we get together. We've got that down pat. How are we doing on the rest? though? How are we doing on being devoted to the apostles' teaching? You know where you can find the apostles' teaching? It's called the New Testament. It's in this book right here. Are we devoted to the Word of God as given and passed down to us through sinful, human, mistaken men led by the Holy Spirit to write perfectly everything that we need to know for holiness and righteousness and following the Lord and living in this age of confusion and chaos and moral decline. We have everything we need in the apostles' teaching. We devoted to it. Folks, I just want to offer a simple definition for devoted. Devoted, let's go with this morning, means you're reading this word more than you're not. There's seven days in a week. 
four days out of the seven days in a week, are you taking this word by yourself and digesting it and reading it? Are you getting together as a family? And it doesn't have to be pretty. Listen, your kids can be crawling all over you, but are you getting together as a family unit and going over something in the Bible night after night? Maybe you have teenagers and they go, God, Dad, we're going to do this Bible story. This is so embarrassing. This is lame. This is awful. You are so extra, Dad. I cannot believe that you are going to do another Bible study tonight. Maybe you've got kids that are off in college and and you're just left alone. Maybe they're married and they got kids of their own and you're in your house by yourself, you and your wife. Maybe you live alone. You're in your house by yourself. Do you set aside some time to study God's Word and be devoted to the teaching of the apostles? It was so important they set aside time day by day to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. They got together to hear the apostles. Don't miss the fact that they didn't have a Bible yet. They didn't have a New Testament. They had the Old Testament writings, and they had the apostles to illuminate by the power of the Holy Spirit the Old Testament writings to them. So every time that it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, it means they had to get together to listen to the apostles. They couldn't Snapchat one another. They couldn't just pick up a walkie-talkie and go, All right, this is Peter coming in with today's Bible story. Come back. I got you loud and clear, Peter, where we're going to be today. We're going into Isaiah. If you just turn and you scroll to Isaiah, get the scroll of Isaiah. There's three of them. The middle scroll, turn to the... No, they got no technology. They got nothing to do other than come together under the threat of death. They met. Folks, we are so far from the threat of death. It's funny. And yet, it's like pulling teeth for us to get together. If you don't believe me, try and schedule a social with your Sunday school class. If you don't believe me, try and schedule for the stewardship committee to get together one time. Try and schedule for the technology committee to get together one time. Try and get together one time with the youth council. Folks, we put church like down here, all right? Every committee, we send out emails, we send out communication, and it is so hard for all of us to come together because we got so many other things going on because... At the end of the day, are we really devoted to one another? To coming together and learning the apostles' teaching day by day. You don't think that the New, the New Testament church, the early church, the early Christians, you don't think they had other obligations? You don't think they had family that moved away from them? You don't think that they had things pulling at them? You don't think they had travel ball? I guarantee you they had some form of travel ball, all right? I don't know what it looked like, but there was some kind of sport going on, and they had to travel to Antioch to play First Baptist Antioch against First Baptist Jerusalem, and they're going to have a little softball tournament. There's nothing new under the sun is what Ecclesiastes tells us, so everything's happened before. They had the same social and societal pressures, and then some, and they still met together every day. They had all kinds of problems, but they got together and put those problems on the table and said, what does God have to say about this? They were devoted to one another. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. When it says that they were devoted to the fellowship, that's, that's a reinforcement of being devoted to one another. Not just to gather together in groups of 3,000, but to gather together in small groups. Folks, look, we have Sunday school classes. We have disciple groups, all right? If you're coming on Sunday morning and you're not involved in one of these two groups, 
you're missing a huge blessing. And, and I wonder, how involved do you have to be at church before you consider yourself devoted? Where, where's, your, where's your line? Is it, you know what? I come most Sundays out of the year, more Sundays than I don't, and once a year I'm involved in one special thing. I tell you what, I showed up and I worshiped and served through VBS. It was great to be involved for that week. See you guys next year. I'll be around in the church every now and again. Is that devoted to the fellowship for you? Folks, we, we got people in this church that are going to Sunday school, meeting on, at Bible studies on Monday morning. They're here for prayer meeting on Wednesday night. They unlock the doors. They lock the doors. They're here for every meeting. When you send out the email, you say, they say, you name the time and we'll be there. Chairman, chairwoman, you name the time and we will rearrange our schedule to be there. And those people come to me sometimes and go, Pastor, I just don't feel like I'm devoted and committed to our church. I'm going, what else can you do? You're here more than me. Folks, where's your line for what devotion looks like to one another? The reason we have Sunday school, the reason we have disciple groups is because the church grew in a 3,000 burst and then every day afterward because they gathered together in small groups in people's homes. Don't miss the line that it says that we were in people's homes. They met together in their homes. They would sell their possessions and belongings and distribute the proceeds to all in need. They were willing to sell their car because Joe in their small group that meets in their house doesn't have enough money to buy bread. You know what? I can sell my wagon, get a smaller wagon and a donkey, and then I can buy bread for Joe. Folks, there's a level of devotion that they had that I I wonder. Do we have that today? Are you so devoted to one another that somebody can come to you and share their burden? Do you not cast judgment upon them immediately? Here's your litmus test. Could somebody who is prominent in this church, let's say there's a deacon who's in your small group or in your Sunday school class, come to you and say, listen, I... I don't know what's happened. I don't know how I ended up in this place. But I'm, I'm struggling looking at things I ought not to look at on my computer. And it's taken me little by little. And I'm fighting it. But I don't know what to do and I don't know where to go. And I had to tell somebody. And, and we're in a small group together. So brother, I just I felt like I could confide in you. Are we so devoted to one another that you feel like that conversation could happen with somebody here at church? Or do we like to pretend to be devoted? That's something I'm really good at. I'm really good at making an appearance somewhere and looking like I care a lot, right? Is this you? You know, principals do this thing where they show up at basketball games and they're seen, but they're not like there the whole time. Have you ever noticed, like, if you ever see a, a principal walking in front of the entire bleacher set, all right? Matt Cobb, I'm not talking about you, brother. And they're walking in front of the entire home bleacher set, and you see them take this big, oh, oh, good, you know, and they almost fall, but they kind of catch themselves, and then all of a sudden they just disappear out of the room. And then everybody goes, well, was, was the principal there at the basketball game? Oh, yeah, I remember. I saw him. You know, he, he, he busted right in front of our, everybody. He, he took a big fall. Was, was the principal really there, though? That's the church. We like to show up on a Sunday. 
We like for people to know we've been here. We like to be good cultural and social Christians. We fulfilled our duty. We showed up. Folks, I don't care who you are. The definition for devoted cannot be showing up. You can't get professional at putting on a mask and putting on a front and not letting people in. This is not the setting where you can do that. But our disciple groups and our Sunday school classes are. And so what I wonder is, can you have those hard conversations with anybody who's a member of this church? Who are your best friends? Who are those that you lean on and turn to in times of trouble and strife and struggle and trial? Is it somebody else here in this church? Or is it somebody else out there in the world that might not even go to church? Folks, I'm not saying that your very best good friend for all life and all eternity has to be somebody in this church. But you ought to have some best friends among the gathering and assembly here together. That's what being devoted to the fellowship of believers is like. That's what it means. I'm just curious this morning, how do we measure up to what the early church looked like? I know we're good at being devoted to the breaking of bread. Are we really devoted to the Word, to the apostles' teaching? Are we really devoted to the fellowship, to one another? Are we really devoted to prayer? Folks, we have nine people on average on Wednesday night for prayer meetings. That's just a fact. We call it prayer meeting. We meet together to pray. We're supposed to be devoted to prayer. And on average, we have nine folks. That's it. So if we're not praying on Wednesday nights together, when are we praying together? If we don't come together and share our burdens and say, hey, here's where I'm hurting. I need prayer over this. Even if we come together and go, look, I can't really talk about it. I just need prayer. Could y'all just throw my name down there and put unspoken beside it? There's probably close to 300 people in this room this morning. There's nine at prayer meeting. On a great Wednesday night, we might have 12. That's a huge attendance for prayer meeting. I just want that to sit and resonate in your mind, in your heart. So how are we devoted to prayer? Maybe you're praying by yourself. Maybe you're praying in your small group. I don't know where you're praying. But I know it's not on Wednesday night. I know it's not here as a group. Folks, this is where you look to do a church health checkup. The early church was messy. They had problems. But they were healthy. And there were people being added to the kingdom of God. Souls being saved. Daily, day by day, because they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, because they were devoted to fellowship, devoted to one another. They were devoted to the breaking of bread in their homes, and they were devoted to the prayers. Look, there's a zillion books out there about how to grow a church. Here's the latest, greatest strategy. You want to know how to grow the kingdom of God? Not just a single local church you want to know how to add souls to the kingdom we got to be devoted to the apostles teaching 
We've got to be devoted to one another. We've got to be devoted to the breaking of bread. We've got to be devoted to the prayers. I'm not saying it's a one-for-one formula, but I am telling you, the church grew faster than they could keep up with. Not just First Baptist Jerusalem, the universal church, the kingdom of God. So look, I can't answer for you. And when I ask myself some of those questions, I don't come near close enough to measure up. This is not me wagging my finger at you saying you failed. This is me going, I don't measure up. Check yourself. Where do you fall? We've got to be devoted to one another and to God's word, to praying together and eating together. Because Jesus is the Christ. It changes the way we live. It changes who we associate with. That's part of repentance. No longer are we devoted to the world. We are devoted to the church. So this morning, where does your devotion lie? What or who are you devoted to? Answer for yourself. Let's pray. Great God in heaven, we we thank you for your love and for your mercy. Lord, we thank you that you give us the opportunity to repent of our sins and to turn to you and to trust by faith in Jesus Christ as the only way, truth, and life. That we can have life abundant now and have life eternal in the hereafter. Lord, but you gave us a model and an example of of what a church should look like. Father, help us as a church to look like the early church. Help us to be devoted to the right things personally and corporately, individually and collectively, Lord. Father, it's not about just showing up sometimes. Help us to be truly devoted to you, to one another. God, we love you and we need you. Father, we're, we're going to have a, a time of response where people can come and, and pray, where people can respond to your Holy Spirit however they feel led to do so. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would move and that we, your children, would respond in obedience. God, we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen.